series on spiritual warfare. It's our privilege to have Dr. Fred Dickinson, who was the chairman of theology at Moody Bible Institute uh, for 20 years. And he has written and spoke so much about this area of spiritual warfare. And we're so thankful to have him. And I, I, I just want you to, to listen and listen closely. Listen closely because every problem we have in this world, the majority of the problems that we have ourselves is because of satanic influence. And so you need to be aware of that. So listen closely because what he's going to talk about today will explain why the world is uh, the way it is. Dr. Dickinson, let's welcome him. Thank you. Good morning, folks. Thank you. I like this country setting out here. Well, you can see the stars at night, I bet you. All right. Well, today we're going to uh, look at, and by the way, you have an outline in your folder. We're going to talk about the reality of spiritual warfare. You know, we've just come through celebrating freedom, haven't we? Great to be able to celebrate freedom. Some of you heard that old statement, um, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Well, everybody talking about freedom ain't enjoying it either. So we want to understand that freedom doesn't mean license. Um, license can lead to bondage. License means you're free to do anything. But there are some good restrictions upon uh, freedom. Uh, God doesn't, uh, doesn't care for uh, murder, doesn't care for lying, stealing, adultery, rape. Uh, these things are forbidden. And that's leading to bondage rather than to freedom. Well, there are good restrictions upon freedom, but there are some evil restrictions upon freedom too. Satan leads into bondage. Satan and his host are in the business of bringing people into bondage. In fact, the Lord Jesus came, it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, to set the prisoners free and to destroy the works of the devil. Isaiah says something like that, too. When you read your Bible, you realize there is a spiritual warfare going on. Most of us have been brought up in a Western worldview. It is in our schooling, our, all our education, um, our acquaintance in our society, we, we believe in a materialistic, humanistic world. That's the way it's set up, ever since Darwin and others, Huxley and so forth. So we uh, understand that there is a world around us that's mostly material, and we don't think too much about the spiritual world. Well, there is a worldview called animism that says everything is spiritual. Um, they're not more spiritual than we are, but they do believe that spirits inhabit everything in the world and affect everything in the world. That's just uh, not a, a thing that happens, but what the spirit world is not involved. Well, a biblical worldview doesn't hold that position. A biblical worldview um, holds that there's God up here, and there are angels, 
And there are men. Psalm 8 says that. What is God that are mindful of him? Or what is man that you are mindful of him? And uh, you made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. And you set him over the works of thy hands. And so we have three tiers of beings there. You have God, angels, men, and then you have uh, material beings like animals and fish and so forth. That's the way it was in the beginning, wasn't it? Well, right away, when we read God created the heavens and the earth and everything that in them is, we understand that uh, God has made a world of full of persons, not all of whom have bodies. Um, angels are spirit beings. And uh, we do not believe in excluding the middle. There is a man called Hebert who understands that, uh, uh, has said that uh, theologians as well as others have excluded the middle. Excluded middle refers to the spirit world. For instance, um, here's a missionary who's driving his lorry, that's a truck, through a very difficult road. And he hits a bump and the kingpin on the right side, uh, his front brakes, and he, he is disabled as he is on his way to preach the gospel somewhere and uh, there are a couple of reactions. The black man, the African, says, who is it that hates you? Because they believe it's due the spirit influence and a curse put, put upon the person. Whereas the, the British man who's driving the truck, he says, uh, we came from material versus spiritual. Well, it might have been both, really. That was the occasion when the spirit world worked on something that was weak. Well, there we have an illustration of different worldviews, but the Bible worldview pictures God, angels, and men, and sees that angels and demons are influencing human behavior. Now, if we're to live a free and unshackled Christian life, we must recognize the reality of spiritual warfare and rely upon the resources that Christ has granted us. Today, I'd like to share with you the reality of spiritual warfare. And next Sunday, y'all come back, you hear. Um, I'd like to have to re talk about resources in spiritual warfare. So right now, we will have to have a brief treatment and overview for perspective. It'll be fast so that we are out on time. First of all, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. There are 16, at least 16 passages in the New Testament that speak about the believer's spiritual warfare with Satan and demons. It's well known in the scripture. The problem is we don't read the scripture with our proper eyes, with a scriptural worldview. If we look at scripture, we see there's warfare going on. The book of Ephesians was written for one reason, maybe even the major reason, to assure that the believers were not under the influence of the spirit world and controlled by them. They didn't, be, didn't have to be fearful of them. As a man who's written a beautiful commentary on principalities and powers and spirits, he's the head of the New Testament department at uh, a seminary out on the West Coast. 
And he says one of the major reasons for writing Ephesians was to give these people a perspective. They were afraid of the spirit world, especially of Diana, who was the regional um, goddess in the area. She could control other things, but they, they lived in fear of the spirit world. If they could uh, name the name, if they could uh, recite the praises that would enlist the spirits on their behalf, they would do that. If not, they were in uh, some desperate straits. But uh, the Bible speaks about, the, about Satan being real and demons being real. Let's talk about Satan here. It says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it is against humans. Ultimately, it's not that. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the form of God. The first thing we notice here is the enemy's personnel. That's Satan himself. He's called the devil. The word devil means one who tricks up. Diabolos. If you understand Spanish, diabolos. You got the idea of going through, making the trip stick, uh, go through the leg of people who are running a race. That's the word devil. Satan means opposer or adversary. It can be used of enemies other than Satan himself. In the Old Testament, the enemy is well known. We read right away in Genesis chapter 3. After God made man in his image, along comes Satan, who has said by this time, I will be like God. And so he tells the race, you will be like God. If you disobey God, God's holding out on you. God is niggardly. And he will not allow you to know good and evil. Well, in Ezekiel 28, we read about Satan being a cherub. He's the anointed cherub who guards. He was probably the honor guard of God. And he had others under him. He seems to be rather high. And the, he, his um, manifesto is found in Isaiah chapter 14, where there are five I wills. I will exalt myself. I'll be above the clouds. I will rule over humans. I will rule over the stars. That's angels. And I will be like the Most High. The word he uses there for God is El Elyon, not Yahweh. Yahweh is a self-existent one. He knew he wasn't self-existent, but he wanted to be like Yahweh. Yahweh is uh, the God who's over all. He wanted to be like God in control, not in character. So he posits his five I wills as his manifesto of independence of God. Well, he shows up in, jo in Job also. God questioned Satan concerning Job, and God and Satan are battling in the life of Job. At the beginning, we read uh, Satan asked to attack Job, and God limited him. He says, well, if you, you've touched his possessions and his person, but you haven't touched his own person, his skin, all right, you can touch him but don't take his life. So he was limited. But I think Job 1 and 2 was written after 
the big dialogue in Tobit, we read that recently, you know, they, he had four friends that weren't exactly helpful, called miserable comforters. And uh, finally, God spoke to him, and he became straight, but I don't think he did in Job 1 and 2 until after the whole issue of dealing with the, the boils and with the opposition of his friends. In the New Testament, we read 19 out of the 27 books mention Satan by one of his names. And every writer of the New Testament mentions him by at least one of his names. Every writer. Satan is well known in the Old and the New Testament. Again, his rebellion is seen in Isaiah 14. And Isaiah, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, it says, um, he sold his rebellious bill of goods to others. The iniquity of his merchandising. He tried to get other angels to go with him. He was so occupied with, with his beauty and his position that he thought he could rebel against God if he got all the angels against God. But you know what? I think he's greatly disappointed. According to Revelation chapter 12, only a third of the angels followed him. And I think he's greatly disappointed. But he carried on, and in his rebellion, he was cast out of heaven. He fell from his great position with his angelic followers, Satan and his angels. Jesus speaks about that. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, we read about Satan and his army of angels fighting with Michael and his angels. Well, Satan does have henchmen. He really needs them. He's a person who can be in one place at one time. He can move very quickly, and he is a spirit being, so he's not limited by physical barriers. But he can't be in every place at once. How many angels are there? Well, I really don't know. But uh, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands? That's quite a few. It can be just a few million, a hundred million, or maybe even a trillion angels. Depends on how you take that. Whether you add the, the tens of tenths and tens of sixths, a little problem there. But there are plenty of them to go around, and Satan has plenty of helpers. He needs them because he's only one person. I think of him as the five-star general in the Pentagon of Heaven. He's directing all others, and he has world rulers. Remember reading Daniel chapter 10, where there's the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece? Those are angelic beings behind the human rulers, and they affect world events. Today, I think they're affecting world events. They're behind many of the political leaders of our time. There are more than 100 references in the New Testament to demons. By uh, the term daimonion, which means a minor deity, they're mentioned 63 times. Numata, which means spirit, is used 43 times. Well, that's over 100 times just by those two words. There are other words that they use them too. And Christ recognized them. He realized that they were real. He said, uh, if I cast out demons by the prince of demons, then he's divided. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. In other words, I am the Messiah. So he recognized, and there's nine cases of demonization that Christ deals with personally, cast demons out of persons. 
And there are other cases in the New Testament where uh, demons are mentioned. I think there are about uh, 17 other mentions of demonization in the Gospels and four in the book of Acts. So it's going on, and it still goes on today. There are ranks of demons. Demons are well organized. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, against authorities. They're generally listed as throne, dominion, principalities, powers, and spirits. They're well organized in a sort of pyramidal construction. They take orders from one another. From the, hench the henchmen have to follow the leaders. They're well organized and uh, their thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. And they, uh, they know their ranks and they know their responsibilities. And they're afraid of one another. There's no love in Satan's categories or in his vocabulary. Everything is power. And so those underneath fear those above. Who are these demons? Well, they're the spirit beings. Spirit beings, they are persons. Persons uh, may exist without a body, you know. We are persons with spirit and body. In the beginning, God created man, dust of the ground, that's material, breathing the breath of life, that's spirit, and he became a living soul. Soul is what man is, not what he has. He has body and spirit, and soul is what he is. God's called soul. Animals are called soul. Soul just means being. So demons are beings, spirit beings, who are persons because they can think and feel and choose with God. They were created originally to serve God, to worship him. But uh, a third of them fell morally perverted. So they turn all their powers against God. They have great powers, but they're limited by God, as we see in Job. And the Lord Jesus said, Satan and his angels are going to end up in the lake of fire. That's certainly what they're going to face. They're answerable to God, you see, because the Lord Jesus, according to Colossians chapter 1, created all things visible and invisible. Visible, that's material things. Invisible, that's spirit things like thrones, dominions, and so forth. So those are the personnel that are lined against us. But the enemy also has some plans. Satan's eventual goals are to overthrow God's persons. He hates God. He hates God because he wants to be over God, and that's a hatred. And I think he has emotional hatred, too. Demons are afraid of God. James chapter 2 says, uh, the demons believe and shudder. They are afraid of God. They're afraid of, of Christ. And by the way, since you're in Christ, they're afraid of you, which we'll catch on, and how to handle them. They want to thwart God's plan of salvation and kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, there are two sowings. The sowing of God and his word, and the sowing of Satan. Comes out wheat and tares, you've heard that. So they thwart God's plan of salvation. In fact, uh, in that passage, he speaks about Satan coming, taking the good seed away from people before they ever have a chance to hear it. And then the cares of this world crowd out growth and development. And Satan is involved in the cares of this world. He oppresses mankind in general, but he has a special target 
as believers. We need to be aware of his tactics so that we might not be caught off guard. Some of you might be old enough to remember Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. The Japanese made a sneak attack upon Pearl Harbor and nearly decimated our fleet. Thousands of men died on board ships that were sunk. And uh, that was a sneak attack, even though we had some intelligence reports that there were strange aircraft in the area. People didn't pay too much attention to it. Now, friends, we have intelligent report here in the Word of God. We ought to know about our, our enemies so that we can stand against them. General Douglas MacArthur, who was the commander-in-chief of the forces, U.S. forces in uh, the Pacific in World War II, said, in warfare, it's most important to know your enemy's plans. You can be caught off guard if you don't know them, like we were at Pearl Harbor. Friends, you don't need to be caught off guard. You need to be aware of the enemy's plans. You don't have to be afraid of studying what the enemy might do because it's revealed in the Word of God. God wouldn't have revealed it if he wanted you to ignore it. Well, Satan's program is basically along with demons, to extend his power and influence over many things. He wants to be the God of this world, and he wants to rule. He wants to receive the worship that we give God. He even tempted the Lord Jacob, fall down and worship me, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He oppresses mankind in general, but his special target is believers, as I said. So we have to be aware of his tactics. Demon activity... And the Bible tells us of that. His activity, his scheme in various areas of life. He promotes his power and influence, but his philosophy. Creature-centered pleasure and power. The power and the glory. And he does it by deception. He opposes God in his program, promoting rebellion, causing slander against God. Yea, as God said... He'll get you to doubt your Bible. He knows it's the word of God. The Bible is a whole lot more believable than evolution. Evolution has only a theory, has no proof whatsoever. Scientific proof means you have to be able to put it in a laboratory and show that it works. You can't do that. People posit millions of years. They have no reason for doing that. Layers in the silk are layers, not necessarily time. They could be deposited by a flood, couldn't they? So it's, we can look at the same material things, evidences, and interpret them in different ways. But for anybody to say four and a half billion years ago, they were not there. They can't reproduce there. By the way, uh, all the uh, molecular and uh, uh, type of uh, timing for aging they can do by molecular structure, such as lead, uranium. Uh, there are too many assumptions there, great assumptions, which cannot be proved. And there are various discrepancies in the ages 
uh, things. For instance, in Mount uh, Helens, St. Helens, uh, some of the uh, lava overflow has been dated to millions of years. <laughs> and it happened uh, less than 50 years ago. Well, we, uh, we don't have to believe Satan's work through evolution. He promotes idolatry and immorality. Psalm 106, the people of Israel sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. That happened with the Incas and Mayas as well. Human sacrifice has often been given as a reason for appeasing God. How did they sacrifice the demons? The next verse says they sacrificed them to idols. Demons are behind idolatry and every false religion. First Corinthians chapter 10 says that as well. They reject grace. Did you know that Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only religion in the world that says God the creator saves sinners by grace through faith in a substitute savior? It's such a truth that man wouldn't write it if he could because they wouldn't think man's that bad. And he couldn't write it if he would, because, and he wouldn't write it if he could, uh, because uh, he, um, he doesn't think man, man's that bad, and he couldn't write it if he would, because uh, it holds the triune God, Son and His Son, His power to save. Who, who, who believes in a triune God? There's no religion in the world that does except biblical Christianity. And my friends, grace is something that uh, the world does not know has to be revealed that God has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but Satan wants to keep us in grace, even in our living. He promotes false religion, idolatry, and immorality. Immorality is always acquainted with and involved in idolatry. He oppresses mankind through nature, as in Job degrading human nature. Romans chapter 1, when they gave up their knowledge of God, they made idols. Idols, first of all, of him. Oh, it's interesting. When you, you go to Romans chapter 1, you find that the result of idolatry is uh, human uh, worship and homosexuality and all the uh, evils that humans practice, murder, and uh, idolatry, and immorality, hatred, so forth. You read that in Romans chapter 1. It's a devolution within evolution. And uh, he disables the body. When Satan can, he works that way. There's a woman in Luke 13 who had a bent back. Jesus said it was due to a spirit that had... Uh, kept her that way for 18 long years. He dismissed the spirit, the woman set free. There's a man in Matthew 12 who was deaf and dumb, caused by a spirit. When he cast out the demon, the man can both uh, hear and speak. And uh, at that time, they said Jesus cast out demons by the prince of demons. And he says, I cast them out by the spirit of God. I am the Messiah. Demons disable 
the body and uh, drive to injury, and they destroy a life. The maniac of Gadara, the one who had uh, a legion of demons in him. We read about him in um, Matthew, um, I should say, Luke chapter 8, and uh, Matthew, Matthew, um, no, it's Mark, Mark chapter 9. This man was living in tombs, gashing or bruising himself. He was breaking chains, attacking people as they went by, wore no clothes, and uh, living in tombs, so that he was occupied with death. Well, Jesus believed the man. He came running and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of God? I know who you are. And the demon spoke out of him. What is your name, Jesus said. My name is Legion, for we are many. So the leader said he was many. Now, Legion in Christ's day was about 6,000, possibly 6,000 back up to. So they urged him not to send them out to the pit because they knew Jesus was in charge and he was uh, over them. Send us into the swine. So Jesus allowed that to demonstrate the power of his word. So 2,000 swine rushed over the hill down into the Lake of Gennesaret, uh, Galilee. Can you imagine all the swirling of the water there? The mud and the bubbles and the squealing and the dead bodies floating. Why did Jesus allow it to demonstrate his power? He was in charge. Some people ask, what happened to the demons after that? Well, I think that was just a pit stop, a pig stop on the way to the pit stop, <laughs> which was uh, on the way to the lake of fire. Well, they destroy life, they distress mankind. They particularly blind to the gospel. The God of the world has blinded the minds, minds, intellects of those who do not believe lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine to them. Well, my friends, Satan is in the business of keeping people from seeing the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Here's, here's the bright, glorious light of the Son of God shining, and there are barriers that keep them from under, keep people from seeing the light. There's satanic barrier, and then there's natural barrier, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. But Satan blinds the eyes of those who believe not. Why is it that intellectual people do not understand the gospel? It's because they don't want to. It's because Satan has blinded their minds and their wills have been perverted. Their emotions have been debased. So Satan comes along and he says the gospel is not true. But the Holy Spirit comes along and says the gospel is true and it applies to you. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If you know somebody who wants to know the Lord or who you want to know the Lord, you pray that Satan's blinding would be removed. You pray that the Holy Spirit would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you pray that the Father would draw him to trust the Savior. Jesus said that no one can come to me except the Father draw him. So there's three things you ought to pray. The removal of Satan's blinding, conviction of sin and the drawing to the Father.
If you pray that way, people are liable to get saved. We're in a spiritual battle. But Satan delights in opposing believers. Let me just uh, share with you some things he does. He accuses and slanders. In Revelation chapter 12, he's the accuser of the brethren. He emphasizes guilt and shame. And those who have trusted the Savior have no condemnation and no separation from the Savior. Having genuinely trusted him, we are given God's righteousness because Christ became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in him. When Satan accuses you, we say we have been justified by faith. Stop your accusing and get out of here. Go where Jesus sends you. But we have authority to do that. He attacks confidence and commitment, like in Genesis chapter 3, undermining God's character. He um, also causes question concerning confidence in him. Yea, hath God said. He'll keep you from reading your Bible. He'll keep you from believing God. That's not only so in the Old Testament, but so in the New. First Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul said he was concerned for the converts, lest Satan had led them astray. What activities does Satan have against the believers? Well, he tempts to sin. Let me just list a few things. He tempts to lie. Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. That dynamic duo <laughs> sold their property, just like Barnabas did. They wanted the adulation of the people because at that time, when people gathered together, they were away from their home. This is the time of Pentecost. And they didn't have a motels or hotels, so they were housing people and feeding people, and they needed some money to do that. They sold their property. They came saying, here's all the money we received from the property. But they kept back part for themselves. Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You're not lied to men, but to God. And both of them fell dead one after the other because of God's chastity. He hates lying, and Satan tempted them to lie. Why has Satan put it in your heart? Why has Satan put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. He also attracts or attracts to uh, sexual deviations. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let each one of you have his own wife and each one have her own husband. That's better than hearing your own. That's good. So, he says, satisfy one another physically. That's your responsibility. Stop depriving one another, except it be for agreement, mutual understanding, for a time, temporarily, that you may devote yourself to prayer. Good point. And come together again, that's physically, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Satan is into deviant sex. He's into sex outside of marriage. God says marriage is wonderful. Marriage bed is holy and undefiled. 
but whoremonger and adulterer brought his head. The marriage union is something that God wants to last for a lifetime. Forsaking all others, I cling to you. This follows the statement. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The word cleave there has to do with glue. <laughs> Glued to his wife. That's a good thing. My wife went to be with the Lord uh, last year, February. Neither one of us had sexual uh, relationships outside of marriage, either before or during. And I'm so glad that the Lord kept us and uh, he was able to use us, both of us, in uh, sharing the truth with a good conscience. He tempts us to rely upon human wisdom and strength. David, it says in First Chronicles chapter 21, was moved by Satan to number his fighting men. He wanted to rely upon human strength. Joab, his general, wasn't exactly a godly man. He said, David, you don't need to do that. God is for us. But David insisted. And the result of it, God was displeased and disciplined by taking the lives of many of his soldiers. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter said, no, Lord, you won't die. This won't happen to you. Get thee behind me, Satan, he said, Jesus said to him. He didn't say, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. The word Satan here is used in the general sense of an opponent. You are opposed to God's will. I came for that purpose. He was relying upon human strength and human wisdom. Messiah should not die. Old Testament makes it quite clear Messiah is going to suffer as well as reign. They couldn't put it all together then. How can he suffer and reign at the same time? The answer is not the same time. First coming for suffering. Second coming for reigning. He tempts with spiritual pride. First Timothy chapter 3 says, Don't ordain a young man, one who's not been proved, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Recognition sometimes can cause pride. So here he says, be careful about pride. We are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he exalt us in due time. He tempts with discouragement and despair. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is about seeking whom he may devour. How does he devour? Through cares, through anxieties. Turn your cares and anxieties over to the Lord. He tempts us to anger and bitterness. As I've gone across the country, I've found that one of the things that people have a hard time with is forgiveness. Somebody has erred, who has uh, transgressed, who has really hurt somebody, somebody else. And forgiveness is very hard sometimes because people feel that forgiveness means forgetting, but it doesn't. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You can't erase your memory. Forgiveness is not letting the person off the hook. Forgiveness is instead turning the matter over to God, as Jesus did. First Peter chapter 2, when he was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he was, when he was uh, attacked, he didn't attack back. 
He committed his case to God who judges righteously. Forgiveness is abdicating the role of judge and allowing God to be the judge, turning the matter over to him. He'll take care of it. He's a better judge than you are anyhow. He knows enough not to let people off the hook. He'll deal with them. Your job is not to take vengeance on your own, not to keep unforgiveness up there as a power play. He incites persecution. Revelation chapter 2 says, Satan's going to throw some of you into prison. Well, that's happening around the world today, isn't it? False religion, false ideologies are putting people at risk. All you have to do is read something like the news. If you want to find out more specific information, you can look up Voice of the Martyrs or Barnabas Aid or um, Slavic Gospel Mission. Issues like that will tell you that there are people around the world being persecuted and they're per being persecuted in the name of, of religion. Jesus warned about that in John chapter 15. He said, people think they're doing you a faith, doing God a favor by killing you. Well, that's what happened today. They infiltrate the church, too. False teachers and false followers sneak into there. And there are many people who name themselves to be Christians and who at the same time are really acting for the enemy. Because either they aren't real Christians or they also they have split personalities. They promote division. We need to. Second Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Forgive this man who sinned. Receive him back because he repented. He wasn't received back as a leader, but he's received back into fellowship. A man who lived with his father's wife, second wife. So, there would have been division over whether to receive him back or not. Paul says, receive him back, lest Satan take advantage of it, for we are not ignorant of his devices. A lot of people are ignorant of Satan's devices when he's saying we are not ignorant. He's not the apostles who are not ignorant of his devices. And he's telling these people not to be ignorant of that. No. Satan really has a vendetta against Christians. He hates you. You're supposed to hate evil. Psalm 97.10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. May I ask you a personal question? How is your hate life? Do you really hate evil? Hate evil within? Hate evil around you? Not hurting people, hating people, but hating evil. Taking your stand against it. To hate means to reject. Reject evil. Our response to spiritual warfare, recognize the enemy's tactics. Don't be caught off guard. We have learned something about his tactics today. You can read more about it in your Bible, following the outline that I gave you today, or just reading in general, you run across it. But you also have to remember Christ's victory. At the cross, he defeated him who was the power of death and delivered those who fear, fear their death for all our lifetimes subject to bondage, Hebrews chapter 2. Christ came, he ruined Satan's rule of Christian ways of weaponry. Colossians chapter 2 said he, he put them to an open shame, stripping them of their weaponry, and uh, we walk in the train of Christ. Satan has been greatly reduced in his power. He still is free to exercise some of it, but he cannot 
we cannot take life as God would have you limited. When you trust Christ, you are in Christ. And in Christ, you died with him, you rose with him, you're seated with him. Romans 6 speaks about you being baptized into Christ. Galatians 3 speaks about you being baptized into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about you being baptized into Christ. We're not talking about water. We're talking about spirit baptism into Christ. In Christ, you are accepted as the beloved. You have perfect acceptance. You have perfect access to the throne of God. And you have perfect uh, provided authority. My thumb is in my hand. When my hand is raised, I'm raised. My thumb is raised. You were in Christ as a member of his body. He was raised and seated in heavenly places far above the enemy. Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 2 says, you were made alive and raised and seated with him in heavenly places. You in Christ are far above all your enemies. It's time that you recognize that. Satan doesn't want you to catch on. We'll talk about this more next time. But you can resist in Christ's authority. Ignorance will keep you from doing that. Assurance and information from the word of God will help you to understand that and to exercise your authority. We are far above our opposing powers. Friends, we need to confess our sins, cancel the opportunities he gave to Satan through them, and command them to go away. Confess, cancel, command. Many people will confess and cancel, but forget the command. You have authority. Somebody says, well, even Michael the archangel did not speak against uh, Satan. Well, Michael was not in Christ. No angel is in Christ. We are in Christ. We have authority. And Michael didn't tell him to get out of somebody who was disputing over another matter. We have the responsibility of saying no to the enemy. James says it in James chapter 4. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can you say that with me? Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Once more, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Did you notice the order? You have to submit to God. We've been singing about this morning that we give everything to God because we want him to be operative in our lives. Little rebels can't fight the big rebel. We must, first of all, submit to God, who's in charge. Then we can resist the devil. And we resist him by obeying the word of God, saying no to sin and yes to the Lord Jesus, allowing him to cultivate our lives. Then he will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. If we're going to be free and stand in the battle and win the day, we need to know the truth about the enemy's warfare. We cannot ignore it. We must face it. We must recognize Satan's schemes to be alert to his approaches. We should not back away in fear. But we shall constantly take our position in Christ to defend and cultivate our minds in the truth of God and follow him in fellowship. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we belong to the true and living God.
the one who made heaven and earth and all that in them is, the one who's good and loving and kind and gracious and powerful, true, faithful, the one who's promised never to leave us nor forsake us since we trusted Christ. Help us to be those people then who trust you fully and completely and stand against evil in our lives and the evil around us. Help us to pray specifically and confidently and stand in the truth that's ours in Christ Jesus. We're trusting you for the victory and for the freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's thank Dr. Dickerson. You know, I would encourage, as you're led, uh, do a study of spiritual warfare. Dr. Dickerson has a couple books on Amazon. One is uh, Angels, <coughs> Elect, and Evil. And if you put his name in YouTube, you'll also find a lot of other stuff. <laughs> but uh, he has uh, trained so many young men and women about uh, spiritual warfare and that's what we're doing this month, and so we're looking forward to having them back. And uh, just take over that outline and look at it again, uh, because it's so critical that we be aware. Well, enjoy the rest of your weekend.